every word from God, every promise will have its full effect. And Jesus himself, the word of God, did exactly what he was sent to do. He was the word from God sent to accomplish the task of saving the whole world. Did you know that even though Jesus was fully God and fully man, that he had to walk by faith? Why? To be the ultimate example to us by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by spending time with the Father, and by walking it out in faith. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Wow. Let us pray before we get into the Word. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the time we could have in your presence. I thank you that we get to read your Word, talk about your Word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you lead us in all wisdom in all discernment, and that we will rightly divide the word of truth according to you, Lord. Lord, we lay down all our preconceived ideas. We lay down all the cultural clutter that can take us away from what we should be hearing. And we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you will minister to each spirit inside of us, each heart, each body, and that there will be such an amazing impartation today that none of us can leave you unchanged. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. We've been doing a series called Foundations because I believe it's really important for us as a spiritual family to make sure we're on the same page um, in terms of these principles. And the page should come from the Bible, the Word of God. Uh, and so that is what we endeavor to, to do. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, and just to remind us all what it's all about and why we are doing this, is because there's a constant battle for our souls raging in the unseen realm. And we need to be aware of this. God wants all of His children to turn to Him, and His free gift of salvation is available to all. But each of us need to actually make a decision to follow Him or not. And that's not a one-time thing. Yes, it's a one-time thing to get saved, but then it's a daily choice to follow Him. We want to make sure all of our foundations, foundational beliefs are solid and sure and founded in the Word of God. As I've said to you before, this is not going to be on the screen, but I just want to remind you of the Scripture. Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 2 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith towards God, and the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Let's not lay these things again. But maybe they are not laid. So we need to make sure that they are laid, so that we can move on to perfection. Amen? Who wants to move on to perfection? Yes. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to quickly go through our foundation words, just so you get a a glimpse again of where we're at. We started with repentance, we, we then spoke on salvation, last week we started on faith and we're going to continue with faith today. 
And next we're going to get into lordship and obedience. What does that mean? What does it look like? We're going to talk about baptism of water and the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be in a spiritual family. And at the end, discipleship. And the reason we're doing this, the reason we're going through these foundations is ultimately to make sure that each and every one of our identities are solid in Jesus. Because if your identity is sure as a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God, then everything else flows from that place. Into your marriage, which is very important. We live in a world where marriages are falling apart, left, right, and center. It's not God's will. We need to get to a place where we say, not on our watch. We are going to do things God's way because His way is the best way and the right way. The same with parenting. From our solid identity, our healthy marriages, our, we can have healthy parenting. We need community because we all know it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a village to raise each and every one of us as children of God. And we can then ultimately also walk in our f- full purpose that God has for us. Amen. All right, so that brings me to today's message, which I've entitled, Word, Faith, Action. We're going to look at faith in terms of five important things. Faith influences and plays a role in all five of these things. The first one, salvation. Then identity and calling. Then receiving a promise from God. Dealing with adversity. And finally, Stepping out in the miraculous. Because all of these things take faith. (laughs) Amen. Salvation, identity, receiving a promise from God, dealing with trials, tribulations, struggles, and stepping out into the miraculous that God has for us. Amen. How many of you guys want to see miracles in your wake of your life? Come on. The Bible says we will do more than Jesus did while he was on earth. And the Bible also says that the miracles he did couldn't, couldn't be written up because it would flood all the books of the world. There wouldn't be enough books to put it in. So we have a lot of ground to cover, right, with the, with the miraculous. I want to spend some time in Isaiah 55 today, and then we're going to go into those principles that I spoke about. So please turn to your Bibles or go to the Bible app and follow along in Isaiah 55. We're going to read verse 1 to 3 and then from verse 8 to 11. This is the part where it talks about how his word doesn't return to him void. And it will accomplish what he sets it out to do. All right. Now, before we read this scripture, you need to know that even this word that we're about to read, we need to choose to believe it. Amen? So we have to exercise faith that this is the word of God, that I will believe what it says, and I will apply it to my life. So there's lesson number one already in there. Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 3. It says, Ho! Everyone who thirsts, that's just a way of calling in older English. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, who has no money? Who has a little money and want more money? Come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, who, to who does that sound like a good deal to? Come on. It's, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. That sounds amazing. It sounds like, you know, f- believing is seeing, <laughs> like we spoke about last week. Here's the question. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why? 
Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul, your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Powerful promise. Telling, speaking to the, the hungry side of us. The side that's weary, tired, looking for a way to feel better, looking for a way to fill the emptiness. What is he saying? Come to me. Come to me. I am the source. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. For my thoughts, the way I think God, are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen to this. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth a bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. That goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Last week we saw from Hebrews 11 that faith is the, can you can remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And we spoke about how amazing that is. And then we asked, what is the substance? Apart from my family, who can remember what is the substance? A promise? You need to be specific because I can promise you something, but is it substance? And it's, it's a word from God is substance. When we receive a word from God, or we read the word of God and we believe in the promise. That is our substance we can hold on to. Amen? When we see now from Isaiah 55 that God himself says that his word will not return to him void, but it will accomplish its goal. So God never sends out a word without a purpose. Okay? John 1 What does it say in verse 1 about Jesus? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now I want you to read Isaiah 55 again. My Word will not return to me void. Every word from God, every promise will have its full effect, and Jesus himself the Word of God, did exactly what He was sent to do. He was a Word from God sent. He was the Word from God sent to accomplish the task of saving the whole world from eternal death and the power of sin. Did you know that even though Jesus was fully God and fully man, that He had to walk by faith? Have you ever thought about that? He had to walk by faith. Why? To be the ultimate example to us. 
He gave, he was fully God and fully man. But when he was operating here on earth, he was doing it the way that he wanted us to do it ultimately, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by spending time with the Father and by walking it out in faith. He relinquished his privilege of heaven for that time. He kept going away alone to pray. We read it over and over again. He, he went apart for hours, praying, praying, praying. And he was crying. He was, he was struggling with God, with so many things. And we specifically see it with Gethsemane, where he's sweating blood so intensely as he's praying to the Father, walking it out in faith. He's, and he kept saying to them, I only do what my Father does, and I only say what my Father says. What is that? Living by faith. The word of God is what I say. The deeds of God is what I do. I'm walking it out by faith. Through this, he showed us how to live in relationship with our Heavenly Father. Do you agree with that? I know it might sound weird to some of you. Yes, he was fully God. I'm not saying he wasn't. And he was perfect and sinless. That is, all of that's in there. But the way he lived that way was an example to us that we can see it's possible to live by faith and live holy lives. A couple of weeks ago, I had a sermon called Holy Shift. Do you remember that? We need to shift our thinking because the Bible calls us to be holy. It says, be perfect as your father is perfect. All right. So Jesus was showing us what it looks like when you live that way, by faith. When Jesus was tempted, so you remember the sequence. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Then we, they heard audibly God speak and say, This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. The next verse in pretty much all the, um, the Gospels says, Then the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. To be tempted. The Spirit led him to be tempted. Just got baptized. I just heard God say, you're my beloved son. What is the next step? Go spend 40 days in the desert and don't eat anything. And by the way, there's this person that's going to come and tempt you. Every time Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he say? The first few words, it is written. It is written. Every time, all three times, he said, it is written. And then he quoted scripture. The word of God was quoting the word of God in a moment of temptation. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that man is tempted, yet without sin. We then find out that Satan also knows Scripture. Do you remember that moment? Then Satan goes like, oh, I need a new tactic because this one isn't working with the bread. It's not gonna, so I'm going to use some Scripture. Did you know the devil knows the Scripture? And he can use it to manipulate you? So what do you need to know? You need to know the Word better. And not just the Word. You need to know and understand the heart of the Word. The heart of God behind a Word, a Scripture. So the enemy tries to manipulate him and 
But Jesus, from being in relationship with God and knowing the Scriptures intimately, as well as the, father, the heart of the Father, says again, it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. And that whole scene, what does it demonstrate? It demonstrates, first of all, He has knowledge of the Word. We need to ask ourselves, how is my knowledge of the Word? Because when trouble comes, when challenges come, not if, when, I need to know the Word of God so I can apply it. In Ephesians 6, we learn that the Spirit of God, the Word of God, is our sword. It's a weapon. 2, Chronicle, uh, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us that our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, lofty ideas and arguments. How do we do it? By taking every thought captive under the authority of Christ Jesus. What does it mean? It means taking the lie and Comparing it to the truth and seeing, no, this is not true. And I'm taking it captive. Amen? But we need to know the word. I think many Christians walk around with blunt swords or no swords at all. I want you to ask yourself, do I have a sword and is it sharp? The second thing we can see from Jesus, his reaction is that he has intimacy with the Father. He's so close to the Father that he easily discerns a manipulative line from the enemy because of his intimacy. How intimate are you with the Father? Jesus says in John 15 to the disciples, abide in me as I abide in you. And then he calls them friends, no longer servants, but friends. Thirdly, it shows Jesus has the ability to rightly divide the word of truth. That's a scripture that comes from Timothy where Paul tells or encourages Timothy to always rightly divide the word of truth. What does it mean? Not what does it say. What does the Spirit say through the word? And that is the truth. And then, fourthly, very importantly, he has a willingness to apply the word with confidence. I think many Christians know some scriptures, know some words, but you know, you know the word, but you're not applying your faith to it, and you're definitely not taking action. So, but from Jesus' life, we can see this example. If the Son of God had to know and use Scripture, if the Word of God Himself needed the Word of God to stand on, to stand on when temptation came, how much more do we not need to do that? We need to believe, know the Word, believe the Word, and act on it. Jesus knew God's word, and he had faith that it is the word of God, and he acted on it. And that's where our title comes from, Word, Faith, Action. And why do I read Isaiah 55? Because every time God gives a word, there's a purpose behind it. But what activates it in our lives is our faith that we actually apply and take action. Okay. Would you agree that Jesus is our example, our best example? So let's follow him. What do you say? Another way of saying word, faith, action is to say, God speaks, we believe, and we move. God speaks, I believe it, and then I move according to what he said. Okay, so in the beginning, I spoke about five subjects where faith is relevant, and we're going to get into those now. So how do we apply 
this to different, the different topics we had. So firstly, salvation. When you hear the word of God for the first time, and it, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did, and we went into that in depth, those who were here. And if you haven't listened to it, please go and listen to the messages on repentance and salvation. When we have that moment where we hear the good news and we have that realization, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, but look how amazing God is. By His love, He made this available. What, is, what does the Word say? If we don't preach the Word, no one will hear it. We have to. So when someone hears that Word, where does that Word come from? It comes from God. And it will not return to Him void. So His Word comes to give us the good news. When we say, when we hear the Word and we believe the Word, when we apply faith to the Word and we take action and say, yes, I'm giving my life to Jesus, that is how faith is applied. The Word says we are saved by grace through faith. Amen? It is a free gift of salvation. And then we choose to follow Jesus, laying down our old lives and knowing that that's true. When the Bible says, you died, you believe it. You don't try to hang on to parts of it. It's not you version 2.0. It's a whole new you. And that takes faith. It takes faith to know that that is who you now are. The second one is receiving calling and identity. We do this by faith. Psalm, if you read, I can't go into in detail, but, and you probably hear me say these verses a lot, but I want you to, to go check out Psalm one, 139. Many of us know it so well, but what you have to know is that it applies to each and every one of us. To know that Jesus intricately and especially and with so much love wove each of us together in our mother's womb. And it says there's a scroll written over your life. There's a book written over you that's not the same as anyone else's. And if you combine that with Ephesians 1 where it says that we were chosen and called before the foundations of the earth. Then we know that God had plans for us even before we were conceived. That should blow your mind and get you excited. And imagine, I want you to imagine that he didn't just plan this. He spoke this. He spoke over each of us. He said, my son will be like this. That's a word. And it will not return void. Ephesians 4, we read more about this. 2 Peter 1, we hear that we are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood and a holy nation. That is who we are. Colossians 3 tells us what it's like to be a Christian. And Romans 8 just goes into it even more. It's so powerful. But we have to read these words about our identity in Christ and actually believe it. We can read it and, and we can, someone can quote it to us. And I know a lot of us maybe get these WhatsApps with pictures where there's a nice quote and you go, oh, that's nice. But you go on with your day. Not realizing or maybe forgetting or maybe just not being in that moment where you go, this is the word of God. And if I know that I'm saved, I know that I'm a child of God, I can apply this word to my life. So what you're actually receiving is substance. When I read the word of God and it says that I am a part of a holy nation and a royal priesthood, when it says that I am I have been chosen and called before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless before God. That's what Ephesians 1 says. Holy and blameless. If I read that with a 
worldly mind, what am I going to think? Yo, that sounds nice, but it's impossible. Because what do we say to each other? Ach, yo, ek is net a mens, eh? I'm just a human being. I make mistakes. That's our main go-to excuse for everything. I'm just a, I'm just a man. Okay, now I want to ask you, when you got saved, what happened? Did you become a new creation? All right. Were you filled with the Holy Spirit? So what's your excuse? Now, that is not to condemn. That is to get you excited that it is possible to live the life God has for us. Because when we keep telling ourselves and other people, I'm just a human being, I can't do this, Akasmaneta means, people make mistakes, we, we, that becomes our narrative. It becomes our language that we speak. And now we accept it. And when we accept it, that starts to become our justification for living the way we want to live. But that God has called us to a higher level. He's called us to a higher standard. So when people have that excuse, you should say to them, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I'm supernatural. You, you, I, sorry, I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> sorry, man. I don't know. You're just a human being. We will make people think we judge them, and we will make them think like we're totally weird. I know. But why is it weird? Because we are used to the other narrative. While the Word of God is saying this to us, we are called and chosen before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless before Him. Now, when I read that as a, as a born-again, Holy Spirit-filled believer, that's the Word of God. What is my faith doing? Because the word of God goes out and it will not return void. Amen? But if you don't believe the word and take action, it may not do what it was sent out to do in your life. We are the key to the word being done in our lives. Why? Because God gave us free will. The greatest gift. But we misuse it so easily. And so often, He wants you to live in the fullness of what He created you to be. And the whole day, like I said in the beginning, there's a battle for your soul. And the battle increases once you are saved. He doesn't care about the people who are lost. But when you suddenly say, yes, I'll follow Jesus, He's like, whoa, what happened here? We need to get that guy. Go, go remind him of where he comes from. Go remind him what he did last week and... Just, you know, make sure he doesn't believe Ephesians 1, please. Just go tell him something else. Go read him some condemning scripture. He, you know, gets confused. But this is how it works. There's assignments going out against all of us. And we need to be aware of that. There's a battle for your soul, actually for your spirit. I feel like last week or a few weeks ago saying to you, I, I don't think you get it. Because <laughs> I really want us to get it and live it out. Because... This changes everything. It, it means that if I think of if Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay, so the word of God is substance. Now I have the word of God. Ephesians 1 says this about me, and many other scriptures say many other things about who we are in Christ. Now I take that word and I say, this is my substance. I'm going to stand on this. It is true. Now I'm taking action. How, what does that action look like? One of the first things is I repeat, I meditate on that word. I make that word part of who I am. I personally have a list of personal faith declarations that I read often. 
out loud. Because what am I doing? I'm reminding my spirit, my soul, and my body who I am in Christ. Because it forgets easily. But when I speak the word of God out loud, it is life to all of who I am. It's also the same with other people. When I am in difficult situations with counseling or conversations where I sometimes feel like I don't have the answer. I, I, I ask God to show me the scripture that's applicable. And I will read that scripture. And you know what it does? It, it just changes the whole situation. Because it's life. It's truth. And it brings freedom. Amen? So the question before us today is, am I willing to hear the word of God about who I am and actually apply it to my life? All right. Some of you are excited deep down inside, I think. He's been to some of my shows in the past where I tell people whenever I take a sip of water, you must, you know, cheer like it's something amazing is happening. Well done. I should apply that in church as well. The, the third thing where we need to apply our faith is receiving a promise from God. This could be a prophetic word. This could be the promises that he has for all the saints. It kind of falls in the previous category to an extent. But there are many other promises that aren't necessarily identity related that we know that we can have as children of God. But it could be something that God showed you while you were praying about you or your spouse or your family or your life or your calling. It could be that thing that, that you hold on to. For me and in our lives, I had a very impactful, powerful, life-changing moment. I was living in Joburg at the time and I was at... The church then, I was walking, uh, I was going for counseling with a pastor, and in the very last session, after I worked through a lot of my issues, um, we, he said to me, you know what, today we're just going to take a moment, we're going to invite Jesus in the room, and, and we're going to ask him to just show you, how does he see you? And it, I mean, to most minds, that sounds weird and abstract and, you know, whatever, and I said, I'm so open to that. Let's, you know, Jesus speak to me. So we sat down. He just facilitated the moment. The next moment I felt like I was complete. My, my, my spirit, my mind, my mind's eye, my imagination was being used for something so amazing. And I saw myself in this, um, in this battle. I was in, it looked like a scene from Lord of the Rings, those who know that movie. Uh, I was in battle armor on a horse and I was, I had a whole fleet of people with me, and we were all armed with voices and musical instruments. And we were joyful and excited, and we were like, we can't wait for this battle, you know. <laughs> and then across the field, there was this black horde of evil riders that were coming our way. I mean, it really looked like something from Lord of the Rings. And we were completely outnumbered, completely. But we were excited about this battle. We weren't worried. So we go into battle, and as we go into battle, I see God's hands underneath us and over us, just like covering us as we're going forward into battle. And then as we start engaging with the enemy, some of them are destroyed, and some of them convert and join us. And then at the end, there's this, this, is a, there's this victory, and, I, and I, I see that we conquered a mountain. And then at the very end, it was like one of those epic movie shots with a helicopter like going and zooming out. I saw myself standing there, and I saw my wife, and I saw three boys and a girl. 
This was November 2005. I only got married the next year, September. And Aletta and I weren't even officially together at that stage. We just knew each other. But from that moment, I knew that I knew that I will marry a godly wife. I knew that I would have three boys and a girl. I just knew it. I knew it. When we couldn't fall pregnant when we wanted to start try, we went for tests. And we were told we have a less than 5% chance of conceiving. And then I said, thank you for the medical facts. But the word that I received from God said this. I will have children. We were pregnant very soon after that. And then we had a miscarriage. Soon, a few weeks in. My mother-in-law sent me a scripture. Psalm 112. A man of God does not fear bad news. I could be offended by that word or I could apply that word to my life. And I applied that word to my life. And I went to read that whole scripture and I realized what it means to be a man of God in a deeper way. And we prayed, we grieved, we cried because we lost a child. But God came and He did something so amazing. He came and supernaturally healed our hearts. I can't even explain it to you. People around us thought we were in complete denial. So quickly it happened. And then months later, after Leon was born, he was still a baby. My wife was at this women's Bible study. And the pastor said, you know what? We're just going to ask Jesus to show us into heaven and to show us something today. And she immediately saw herself walking with Jesus in heaven. And the next moment, she saw her, her uh, family that have passed on. And then she saw a whole bunch of kids playing. And she was wondering, who's these kids? And then God's, the Spirit revealed to her, it's all her grandmother's miscarriages. They were all playing in heaven. And the next moment, she felt a tug behind her. And a little, a little blonde boy was standing there. And he said, hello, mama. And it was, they spent time in heaven and she saw how happy he was. And then at one point he said, okay, I'm going to go now. And she's like, No. And then that moment ended, and she was so encouraged. And then she came and shared it with me, and we had a good cry. And then we had two more boys. And I still knew the girl was coming. After boy number three, my wife said to me, uh-uh, I'm done. Can't even hear me. And I knew even if, if that is the case, then you know, we will have a daughter in some other way. Maybe we adopt, whatever. I don't know. I just knew that God were, God's word is true. And a couple of years went by and my wife's heart started to change. And, and then, yeah, we, we fell pregnant with Alana and she's been such a joy, obviously. That's a very, very short version of that story. But I, I, the encouragement I want to give you is that when you receive a word from God, you can stand on it. It is sure. It is substance. It is evidence of things not seen. Do not let doubt come in. That is an active thing. We're going to get to those just now. So if you have received a promise from God, and you know that you received it, 
But you also have neglected to keep it alive. And maybe life has thrown so many things at you and people have said so many lies over your life that you've decided that promise will never come true. I want to ask you today to purposefully go to God and repent of that and to say, Lord, make that promise alive in me again. I will believe and I will stand. We must know the biggest enemy of a prophetic word or a word from God is our expectation of the timeline of the words fulfilling. Don't let your expectation be stronger than what God is expecting of you. That's a whole sermon on its own. I won't go into that. Okay. The, the fourth one. We apply our faith, going through adversity, trials, tribulations, suffering. I did a teaching recently called Understanding Suffering. I want to encourage you to go and listen to that. We go into the different types of struggles and suffering that we go through. And God really showed us something amazing there about how we should deal with these things. But when God gives us a word about our mission, it doesn't change when challenges come. God's word doesn't change because circumstances change. Or trials come. And he, he gives us instructions on how to deal with trials and tribulations. You may know James 1. Um, there's, I'm going to read a part of James 1 to you. And then I'm going to ask you a question. It says that we can be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. How many of you would like to be perfect, complete, lacking nothing? Hands in the air. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. Okay? Who's that? Who's with me? All right. My brethren, count it all joy when trials of various kinds come your way, knowing that the testing of your faith. So what, is trial, what do trials do? They test your faith. What are we talking about? Faith. When it's testing your faith, it produces patience. How many of you have prayed for patience? It's not a good idea. <laughs> Lord, give me patience. Okay. <laughs> but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How do we get perfect, complete, lacking nothing? We counted all joy. When trials of various kinds come our way. So when something bad happens, Psalm 112 verse 7, a man of God does not fear bad news. Something bad happens, unforeseen circumstances, we're going to go, woohoo, yeah, I'm excited about this. Look what God's going to do. I'm not saying we need to be delusional and ignore our emotions. Sometimes things happen that's really horrible and hard to deal with, I know. We acknowledge the emotion. We acknowledge the thing that's happening. But then we go, as children of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, new beings, we go, this is not the full picture. God knows the full picture. And if you have received a word that is contrary to what you are experiencing, what are you going to stand on? Are you going to believe the circumstances, your experience and your emotions? Or are you going to believe the word of God and stand on that? What are we going to do? I want to encourage you to stand on the word of God. 
Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. I'm hoping for this promise to happen because I have substance. But between the substance and the hoping and the getting, there's a process. And that process is testing your faith. It's testing your faith. Last week we spoke about Abraham, who was told by God to take his son and offer him up. What was God doing? He was testing his faith. The other scripture that I can read to you is from Romans 5. It's also a fun one that really challenges us in so many ways. I didn't plan on reading this, but I feel like I need to read it. That's why I'm looking for it now. Just make sure, I want to make sure I read it to you the, the right way. Romans 5. It starts off with a part that I read last week. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's great. That sounds awesome. Let's stop there. No, wait, there's more. Through whom also... So we have this one thing, but we also have access by faith into His grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Man, that still sounds amazing. Thank you, Jesus. And not only that, wait, there's more. But we also glory in tribulations. Wait a minute. Sorry, can I go back to verse 2, please? That sounded much nicer. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because, we love, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You're starting to see how the Word of God works together. Come on, can someone get excited about it? Now, when we have a word from God that is challenged by circumstances or suffering or trials, we have this other word of God, Romans 5, James 1, and many others that we can also stand on. So now I have a word and I have the word. I mean, those circumstances don't stand a chance. Come on. Last one, stepping out into the miraculous. I want to talk about the moment Peter walked on water. How many of you have walked on water before? None of you, not really. Come on. <laughs> what happened there? There was a storm. The disciples were on the ship out on their own. The next moment they see a figure moving on the water. They think it's a ghost. But then he speaks and Peter recognizes the voice. And then he says, um, he can come. And Peter said, if, you, if it's your will, if you say I can, something like that, I will come. And Jesus said, Come. And then he walked on water. He did the impossible. Was he walking on water or was he walking on the word that the word spoke? And as long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was walking on water. The moment he took his eyes off of the word that he received and looked at the circumstances, the storms, the challenges... He sunk. Even then, Jesus was there to pick him up. But in that, we have such a huge lesson that we need to know we can stand on the Word of God. That the impossible is possible. What is impossible with man is possible with God. That's another word we can stand on. 
where two or more are gathered and pray and, and agree on a matter, it will be so. There's another word we can stand on. So when I pray for people for healing, I stand on those words. I repeat those scriptures. I say, Lord, you said by your stripes we are healed. Lord, you said that if two or more are gathered and we agree on a matter, it will be so. We here together agree now that this man is healed, that this lady is healed, that this thing will go in the name of Jesus. What am I doing? I'm applying my faith to the word of God. I receive the word, I believe it, and now I'm moving in it. Are you seeing the pattern? Amen. Who of you are trusting God for a miracle in your own life? Anyone? Okay, we're going to pray for that just now. Who of you are afraid to walk in the miraculous as a child of God? Afraid to pray for people for healing because maybe they won't get healed. Afraid to cast out demons because maybe they'll attack me. Afraid to pray for someone who's dead to see if they will get raised from the dead. Why am I naming these examples? Because that's exactly what Jesus sent his disciples out to do. Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Okay, ta done, go. Have fun. Freaking people out. Right? That should be normal. But it's not normal. Why do we keep telling each other, yeah, I'm just a person, you know? I'd... We need to stop speaking death. And we need to align ourselves with what the Word of God is saying. There's three opposites of faith that will try to throw us off of this. Okay, so we have five areas where faith was applied. Now there are three things that can throw you off. And we're going to quickly look at them because I see we're out of time. The first one is fear. Okay, according to the dictionary, fear is the unpleasant emotion caused by threat of danger, pain, or harm. Now obviously there's a healthy kind of fear that if someone is chasing you or you see there's a storm coming or there's a massive wave about to hit the shore and you are there, you know, that fear is healthy. It makes you do something about it and get safe, yeah? obviously. It's not like going to stand there, I'm not afraid. I will just quickly move. <laughs> That's, there's a healthy kind of fear that God gave us to stay safe. All right? We can agree on that. But there's a fear that is debilitating. There's a fear that's perpetual that can cause you to not walk in the will of God for your life. Because what is faith? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What do we do when we have fear? We, we keep saying, but what if this happens and what if that happens and what if this happens and what if that happens and none of it has happened? What are you doing? You are applying faith in the wrong direction. Because it hasn't happened, but you're kind of hoping that it happens. It's weird. Have you met people like that? They always come up with the worst possible outcome for a situation. Or you can give them the word of God and they go, yeah, but. And then follows a whole speech of a victim. And I'm like, seriously, Jesus help me. The next one is doubt. Doubt is a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction that makes us unsure of God's promises and it makes us unable to move or unwilling to move with Him or for Him. That's what doubt does. When you read the scripture, you see God says, Oh, ye of little faith, do not doubt. Always comparing faith with doubting. It is the opposite of faith. 
The, th- <laughs> the third one is worry, being anxious or troubled over actual or potential problems. There's a bit of a place where worry and fear overlaps, where we make up stuff to worry about. What does the average woman in our country that have children say when for like two seconds they don't know where their child is? What do they say? Oh, he's probably dead in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> or you don't hear from your husband for 20 minutes. He's like, oh, he's probably dead in a ditch somewhere. What are you doing? We were on the, we've been on the beach with our children, okay? Now, there's so much news and WhatsApp messages that make you fearful. And then you're on a beach. And for a second, you don't see your child. And you think, oh, someone has taken my child and is halfway to China already. I mean, these are the things, the conclusions that we jump to. How crazy is that? Let's not be those people. Let's not do that. All right. Now, how do we deal with these things through God's word? How do we apply faith to his word and then take action? Okay, let's talk about fear. So Paul says to Timothy that we have not received a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Other translations say self-discipline. So if we feel any fear other than the fear of God, we need to know that it's not from God. If we're not experiencing love but hate or not experiencing power but weakness, not experiencing a sound mind or self-discipline but we feel it's chaotic, we're confused, we need to know that that is not the spirit of God that's operating. It's another spirit that's operating. In God and in His Word, there is love, there is power, and there's a sound mind. If there's hate, weakness, or confusion, it is not of God. And it's also not who you are as a child of God. So, we need to get back to the Word, into the presence of God, into prayer with someone, or go to counseling so it can be taken care of. I'm not saying we need to ignore our emotions or ignore the stuff that's happening, be delusional. That's not what I'm saying. But what I need to get across is that we need to realize that fear is not from God. The kind of debilitating perpetual fear that I spoke of is not of God. When it's, when it's pulling you away from who you are, pulling you away from what you were made to do, that is not from God. So now you apply his word and says, I have not been given a spirit of fear. You can say that out loud. No, I come against this this fear that I'm feeling and say, I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And you will start seeing how the atmosphere shifts. Doubt, James 1, we spoke about that. says, just after this segment that I read to you, it says, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give wisdom without reproach. Now, many people stop reading there. What it says immediately after that is, but do not doubt. For he who doubts should not expect to receive anything from God. He's talking about wisdom, but he's applying it to many other things. How many of you guys are asking stuff from God, but you're like, I don't know if it's going to happen. Don't expect to receive anything from God. He may surprise you and give it to you anyway. That has happened in my life. I can attest to that. But the principle of faith from James 1 is that if you ask for wisdom, you will get it without reproach, without him holding anything back. You will get the fullness of the wisdom that you're asking for. But do not 
Doubt. What is doubt? We saw it earlier. A feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. I'm going to ask for wisdom, but oh, I'm unsure and I'm not really convinced it's going to happen. Don't expect to receive anything. Worry. The last one. You guys know the scripture. I've, I have it up, but it's, it's way too long to read now. We can maybe skip to the end of it. Where Jesus talks to his disciples about how God cares for the birds, the flowers, everything in the field. And how much more does he not care about us? And then at the end, he says, oh, you of little faith. For, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall I eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. It's not a surprise to him. Some of us got to go, Lord. <laughs> I need this and I need that. And how can you not do this? And he's like, I know, I know, I know, but you're bringing to me the wrong list. You're bringing the list that I already know. Why don't you bring me the list of people that you're praying for? Why don't you bring me the list of miraculous things that you're trusting me for? Why don't you bring those things to me? Amen? But seek first, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, these things I want, the earthly things, the material things, all these things shall be added to you. But there's an if. What comes first? Seek first the kingdom of God. In, in Revelation, it, it, there's letters to seven churches. The one church, the accusation is that you've lost your first love for God. Seek first the kingdom of God. What is your heartbeat when you wake up in the morning? What is your first thought that goes through your mind? Is it survival? Is it the first thing you're worried about to achieve that day? Is there fear? Is there doubt? Or is there, man, I can't wait to make an impact for the kingdom of God today. Woohoo, devil, watch out. Where are we in waking up in the morning? What is our, what are we set for? And it's, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. How many of you guys are worried about Monday? The Word of God says don't, so don't. The answer to all of this is to hear the Word of God regularly, on a daily basis, to speak it out, to meditate on it, to speak it out, and to confess it over our lives. Because faith is the substance of things hopeful and the evidence of things not seen. Let us stand together, please. I want you to close your eyes and just focus on Jesus. I want you to take a moment. I want you to just be honest with yourself and before God for a moment. And just acknowledge, Lord Jesus, these are the things that I fear. These are the things that make me doubt. These are the things that I'm worried about. Just recognize it, admit it. And I want you to ask you to, to just bring it before the Lord. Just bring it before the Lord. The Word says we can cast our burdens unto Him because He cares for us. Let's cast our burdens unto Him. Let's lay it at His feet and ask Him, Lord, what do you say about this fear? What does your Word say about this fear? What does it say about this doubting, this area of doubt, this worry that I have?
Please show me, Jesus. Please show me, Jesus. Maybe you don't get something right away, but just think of any of the scriptures that I read to you today. And just say, Lord, I apply that word. I apply that word to this fear. I apply that word to this doubt. And Lord, I ask that you will remove all these worries from my life. Say, Lord, I choose to follow you. I choose to have faith in you and in your word. Holy Spirit, help me. Guide me every day to live from your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. I would have wanted to... Oh, we have some miracles to pray for. You guys put up your hands. Let's do that. Jesus... You are the God of the miraculous. You're the God of the impossible. And we have people here trusting you for miracles that are probably ranging from sickness to financial breakthrough to whatever it might be. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, we just extend our faith. And we thank you, Lord, right now that you will do a miracle in each life, each hand that was put up, each story that was brought forward, each thing that people are trusting for online as well today. Lord, that we bring those things before you. And I thank you right now in Jesus' name that you will come and you will bring a miraculous breakthrough. I thank you that you will do what you always do and bring a word that they can stand on. A word from you or a verse from your word that they can hang on to, stand on. That's their substance. Thank you for giving us all substance right now to stand on. That when the storms come, when the uncertainty comes, that we will say no. It is written in Jesus' name, and it shall be so. We thank you for that, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We love you. We love God. Let's give God a big, a big shout of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.